0: Good morning. If anybody needs me to pray for their car, I'm ready after service. Just kidding. Isn't God amazing, though? Like, there's nothing too small, nothing too big. Um, That's definitely the truth um, about how God works that I'm always surprised by. Um, This morning, I'm preaching on parenting, and you'll see how good of a job I do um, at that. Based on my daughter running the camera, I gave her specific instructions to make me look skinnier, so... If she does good, then I'm a good parent. If she fails, then, then I'm a bad parent. But no, um, I'm really excited to be here, though, this morning. Um, I feel like parenting is something where if you were preaching on parenting and I was a kid, I'd just roll my eyes and be like, great, things are going to get harder at home. They're going to take away my phone. And if um, if I was an adult who was single or... Even a married person without kids, I'd probably be like, oh, this has nothing to do with me. I wish I didn't come this Sunday. Um, but I want to tell you that what I'm going to tell you this morning is relevant to you because you are a kid. You're a kid of somebody, right? So whether you have children of your own or not, this message is for you. It's definitely going to stir some baggage in you uh, that you're going to have to unload at lunchtime with your spouse. Or if you're single, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to have to call my mom or my dad. Um, <laughs> So that's important, but I'm always honored to be here because um, I feel like nobody deserves the microphone. Like under Christ, right, you're forgiven, and that's a level ground. If you were here last week, you know that I'm the offender that gave my wife the worst testimony ever. But God forgives us, God invests in us, and God restores us. And so what you hear from me about parenting today, whether you're the child or whether you're the parent, know that God can do something amazing in your heart. So um, without anything else, God, I just pray that you would remove any of the words that are offensive, make my jokes funnier, and help me speak. Thank you. They help me speak. You're answering prayers already, God. Help me speak your truth in Christ's name. Amen. I feel like the best way to prove that I am a dad to you is to tell you about a conversation I had this week. So I grew up in California. My buddy Wes calls me, and he's like, listen. Now, if you don't know anything about California, they're a little bit extra about everything. My buddy Wes calls me, and he's like, listen, I'm going to legally change my name. And I was like, what in the world are you talking about? He's like, no, seriously, I'm going to change my name to Spinal Column. I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I was like, Wes, listen, I'm really busy. I'll call you back. Some of you will get that later. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way I can prove that I'm a dad, right? Sergio told me to make him look good. No, seriously. In all reality, I'm excited to speak to you today. I don't have any more dad jokes for you. My kids suffer through that at home. It's worse because I actually text them my jokes so I can like hear a groan from another room. (laughs) I was recently at a leadership event and the main speaker was on the stage and she said, she's talking about tension and she was like, if you have real relationships with people, it's not about if you face tension, but it's about how. And I was like, I think she meant to say when. And she said, it's not about if you face tension, but it's how. And I thought, oh, okay, okay. And she said, tension with a violinist is what brings out the most beautiful music from the strings and the bow rubbing together. I was like, man, that's beautiful. That's poetic. And she said, tension is what creates movement on the road between your tires and the pavement. And I was like, that's, that's actually really awesome. And I started thinking, have you ever tried to play the violin? Like just picked one up after seeing a concert person being like, I, I'm gonna do that. And you do, have you ever done that? It is the most horrible sound in the world. Your dogs run away. It's so awful. It's a screeching. There's a skill to mastering that tension, right? And if you've ever driven... You know what happens if your tires don't create that tension with the road. You're either screeching or flat or at a halt, and you're just not moving forward. So if you're attention today uh, excuse me, if you're a parent today, you're going to feel this tension inside. You're going to understand this tension. And if you're a kid, you know you're sick of that tension. You just want them to leave you alone. So whether you're a parent or a child in the room, we're going to talk about what to do if you're stalled. We're going to talk about three things that I think God says inside about how to have forward movement with that tension. And I believe God can make something beautiful out of that tension in your life. So if your parents drug you here this morning, I'm on their side. And if you've been drugged here this morning, I'm on your side. Um, In case you didn't know, all of us are uniquely bad. That's not something that you are good at. Um, I'm very good at it. We're all very good at it. We're all very flawed. We're born into sin. So if you think that your rebellion in your life, as you reflect on your childhood and you remember the things you got away with that you're definitely not telling your children about, I understand you're not uniquely bad. People have been doing really dumb stuff for a long time. And I wanted to tell you you're in good company here this morning, if that's you. And the reason why I tell you that is because sin starts in the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Eden. And I want to tell you that it's even on that ground under that tree where they sinned because the reality is we're born into that now. And so the rebellious nature that's in you, it can't help but come out. Two two days ago on Friday, we're running late. I'm like, hey, we got to go. And I turned to my daughter Zoe and she's in the kitchen and I'm like, listen, I need you to grab your food. And she was like, I am, and I was like, "You gotta hurry! We gotta grab your food! We gotta go!" And she's like this—literally, she was moving full speed before, and now she just slowed down in slow motion. Get my muffin! And I, inside, I'm just like furious. She can't help it; she's rebellious. You ask your kids to do something, and they literally slow down. They're like, like this, and you're like, "Clean this!" And they're like, "I'm cleaning." something inside of you is like why aren't they trying why don't they see where I'm at it's infuriating it's normal because kids rebel like adults rebel Um, and so in a way I have two rotten kids because I was a rotten kid my daughters are 16 and 18 now Uh, we've been forced to live a very transparent life in front of them because my sin found me out and crushed my family A lot of people haven't had to live through that, but I'm telling you there's some benefit to being honest and transparent with your kids about your failures because it requires you to have some humility, and uh, like we heard Aaron say a few weeks ago up here that he had to go back in and apologize to his kids. I've done that as a parent, and I hope that you have too. I want to back up and tell you the context about the first thing that I want to talk about this morning um, the context of this is that I was in middle school. I don't know if you know about middle school, but it's the worst time in your life. So if you're a kid going into middle school, I'm sorry. If you're a kid in middle school and you like it, you're probably a bully. And if, if, you're, if you're in middle school and you hate it, that's totally, that's, that's normal. It's okay. I promise it gets better. So I had two parents. They loved Jesus when I was at church, people were like, that kid's all right. And I didn't swear. And I always kept, you know, respectful to adults when I was at church. When I was at home. I was probably less respectful. But, you know, that's kind of how it works. So my, my parents and I, we had this connection. But when I was in middle school, I was like, I just, I want friends. And so I learned how to swear correctly. I learned how to have all the dirty jokes. You know what I mean by correctly, right? Because when you swear wrong, people are like, what did he say? He put the word in the wrong place. So, if you're laughing, then you should repent. Um, But I'm telling you that I lived this total double life in middle school. I mean, like crash, collide, double life, because one day I was swearing great. I did something. I'm not even going to tell you what. It's so bad and so embarrassing that I can't. And you know what I've done because my wife just shared last week. This was so bad. I felt a hand on my shoulder. Not the hand of God. It was worse it was the hand of the vice principal. And I got put in the office and they called my mom. That's the worst. I don't know if you've ever. That's the worst. So my mom comes in and I was like, what are they going to tell her? And they're like, you tell her. And I was like, oh. oh. Actually, it's probably more like, oh. Because I was in middle school. And, and I had to tell my mom what I just did. And my two lives collided. That life at church was over. Whatever facade I had up in front of my parents was so broken because they were literally kicking me out of school that day and my mom was there to take me home. And what I did actually followed me on a permanent record all the way through high school. So embarrassing. I'm never going to tell you. So listen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I do want to tell you this. I, my life's collided. And my mom picked me up, and I remember walking to the car, and when you're ashamed, what do you do? You look down, right? Dang it. Going to the car, not saying a word. I mean, I already cried hold the cried. There's no more tears. I get in the front of the van, and my mom doesn't say a word. You got to understand this part, too. My parents work really hard, both of them, and we, we ate out to eat very, very rarely because we just didn't have money. My mom drove me to Taco Bell, so I definitely thought I was dying that day. Like, I thought, oh, this is it. So I was like, I'm going to go for the Burrito Supreme. This is my last meal. I'm going to get sour cream if it's my last meal. And I'm telling you this because I was actually scared that my parents were going to kill me because of what I did. And we pulled into Taco Bell. I didn't say a word. I'm like, Mom's going to eat in front of me, and that's my punishment. We go in, which is also weird. What are you going into Taco Bell for? I'm like, oh, she's going to make me work here because I don't have a life anymore. Instead, we take a seat, we order food, and we sit down. And my mom looks across from me, and she says, I know that God is working in your life right now. Your dad and I have been praying that you would choose Jesus And it sounds like you have some choices to make. And then I ate my burrito. I thought about dying. (laughs) And we went home and I never had a discussion with my dad about that day. And I was kicked out of school. My dad was not a silent partner in parenting. He's the reason why I thought I would die. Not my mom. I could outrun her. But my dad could shoot very well. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is exasperation. It's a weird word. We don't use it every day. I've got a scripture that I want to pull up because this isn't something that, it's not something that, that I came up with or something clever or crafty. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, it says. Do not exasperate. This is Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So what does this word exasperate mean? Because it's kind of a, a weird thing. It means, it means to provoke your children to lose heart or give up trying. Exasperating your children is when you pile on one more thing that causes them to quit trying. Years later, my dad told me a story. Maybe this is why he was silent. He told me a story. He said, this man at work, his son had taken his car out and had wrecked his brand new car, and he grounded his son for six months from everything. Now, whatever happened in their transaction and conversation and discipline is his son lost heart even to the point of death and his teenage son committed suicide. Exasperation is when you break your child's will by an unnecessary heavy response to a situation that already has them broken. It's when your child comes to you scared and confused and they confess their complicated gender identity issues or sexuality issues and instead of listening and calmly asking questions to them, you pile on an incredible burden of truth in that very first moment and you crush them with what is true and what is right. Instead of listening. That's just a modern example. My dad definitely never blamed his friend for his son's death. It wasn't like that. It's that the overwhelming lies of the world got into this kid's mind. And he couldn't see past the punishment. Because he was already broken. I'm telling you today that if I sat at Taco Bell that day. And my mom came down hard on me. I would probably be dead. And not by suicide, but because I was definitely at a crossroads. I would have done every drug out there. I would have rebelled so much harder because that's where I was in that moment. And you can't even see in that moment that that's what you would have done. I'm telling you today, I would definitely be in jail for the rest of my life or dead if my parents had come down hard on me in that moment. So how did they know? How do you know when to drop a truth bomb on your kid? My parents had every reason to just, like an aunt, be like, you are so in trouble. You're not just kicked out of school. You are in so much more trouble than that. And they didn't level any other punishment on me. Something about them had the wisdom to see that I was completely crushed and broken. So the first thing that I want to pray for you right now is wisdom. God, I pray that every parent in this room and every parent hearing this message will get the supernatural wisdom from God, from you to know when to shut up and when to speak truth. And I pray that when they do speak truth, that it would come from a deep desire to understand and love their child more. And Lord, I pray for every child in this room who has been exasperated by their parents' that they would forgive them knowing that there's no instruction manual on how to handle rebellion, and we're trying. So, God, I pray for an extra measure of grace. I pray for an extra measure of wisdom. And, God, I pray specifically that you would cause us to live exemplary lives as we pass on values and morals and righteousness that we see in the Bible. In Christ's name, I pray these things over these people. Amen. And the reason why I pray that for you is because there's no explanation of why my mom held her tongue that day, but I'm alive because of it. Parents, does that add some gravity to what you do? Knowing that your middle schooler could literally take a completely different path for the rest of their life based on how you respond to their rebellion? Now hear me out. I am not saying don't discipline them. Oh, I'm going to come down. That's my third point. <laughs> the first one is fathers, do not exasperate your children. The last one is get the rod. No, I'm just saying, and I'm saying like there, there is this thing. There's a balance, right, in being a parent. You're listening. You're loving. You are speaking truth. When your kid confesses this crazy culture that they live in has caused them to have all of this confusion. There is still truth. There is still light in the darkness of our culture, amen? There is still the honest truth of God that can bring light and hope into their situation. And you want to give that to them. But how are you going to package it? With a bat or with a bow? We want to encourage our children, not discourage them. And that's this next passage. Colossians 2 or Colossians 3:21 says fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It's such a straightforward verse to us cautioning us as mothers and fathers to take the temperature of our relationship to assess how to communicate against caution and destruction in a way that they can actually hear. I think my mom was onto something. She's like, this boy doesn't listen to anything, but he eats. (laughs) So she fed me. And can I just point out something here? I don't know if it's descriptive or prescriptive, but so far, these two verses have been definitely directing things towards fathers. And so I do want to say this, man, you got to step up you got to step up in how you communicate to your children. you got to step up in how you lead in your home. You've got to step up in what humility looks like, and you're going to have to start opening your mouth because you're making your wives the disciplinarian a lot of the time, and they're sick of it. They're so tired of being the bad guy. That echoes right back at me. Because if you heard my wife's story, I was working 70 hours a week. She was basically a single parent for the first several years of my kids' lives. I mean, I brought home a paycheck, but that was it. I was busy. I was gone. And I made every excuse in the world for that. But I guess what I'm telling you is that men today, you need to step into this role of parenting. And the first step is to ask for the wisdom that we just prayed for. God won't deprive you of it. It doesn't mean when we say do not embitter your children in that passage, it doesn't mean don't talk to them about truth. It doesn't mean avoid the truth. It doesn't mean to embrace the dysfunction and confusion that your child faces. That's sort of our culture thing, right? So if your kid has these crazy confusions and that life is hard and they don't know what to do, it doesn't mean affirm their flawed ideology it doesn't mean embrace their brokenness and their broken interests. It doesn't mean just go, oh, well, I guess we're picking up this color pom-pom to cheer you on now. What are you doing? You're the parent. And I'm telling you this because there's a way to communicate truth and love as you raise your children without embittering them, but you still got to give them the ability to kind of bounce off the guardrails and make bad choices because we do learn from them. That's what we're praying for. That was actually what my mom's prayer was. So it doesn't mean that you throw out the truth of what God says. It doesn't mean that. It means that you communicate it and you discipline and you let that play out over time and in many seasons Consider this passage in Hebrews 12. So I'm trying to put together this message, and I'm thinking, God, you have to speak into how we deliver with wisdom, guidance for our family and our children. And our parents are our kids are desperate for it. And this passage says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. Later on, however, it provides a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. And this passage resonates with me because... No, discipline isn't pleasant. In fact, if you've ever been disciplined, you're like, this, these punishments, this discipline, the, the consequences that are levied are pretty awful. And the author of Hebrews is reminding us, the followers of God, that as they experience the corrective nature of God, right? So God can deliver discipline, and our parents can deliver discipline. And as children, we don't really like it. It's painful, it's not pleasant. And if you're faced with contradicting, so the way that you live contradicts and is opposite of the way that God wants you to live, you're going to experience consequences. Some of those consequences you need to let happen to your children, and then they need to be lived out. And that is painful. If you're a parent, it's painful to let God's discipline go through. If you're a parent, it's painful to apply discipline. Let's be honest. You're gonna ground your kid. Guess who's hanging out with them this weekend? You are. Guess who's mad? They are. Not exactly the best recipe for hanging out. <laughs> Let's turn it into family game night, and they're rolling their eyes so hard because the last person they want to be with is the person that kept them from their friends. So when you discipline your kids, you pay for it, and your kids pay for it. Think about the last consequence you levied on your kids. What'd you do? Just take away their phone, their iPad. You just got rid of their, their babysitter. <laughs> Even if it's just five or ten minutes a day, your life just got harder with the consequence that you levied. And the easiest thing as a parent is to be like, well, you've been doing better. Here's your stuff back. I'm so sick of you. <laughs> and so... That's the reality is that parenting is really hard. Discipline is actually really hard. But this passage in Hebrews says that it takes place in a season, that you're doing something for a season. So when you're disciplining your kids, it's sort of like planting or tilling or stirring up the ground or disturbing it or creating chaos so that a seed can actually be watered and take root later. But you don't see the benefit of that in that season. Anybody that plants a field looks at it when they're done and goes, it's just a bunch of dirt. But the next season, there's a harvest. So it says in this passage, there's a harvest of righteousness. That's a harvest of what's good. It's what's pleasing and what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the harvest that comes from discipline. So why aren't we sowing it? Some of us are like, listen, I'm plenty hard on my kids. And some of the kids in here are like, why are you telling them to be harder on us? Life is already hard. My parents don't need to hear this. I don't know what you need. But God says, deliver the truth without exasperating your children. But he does say, deliver the truth. And that is done in a disciplined way. And a season may be days or weeks or months or even years for a stubborn person like me. I don't know you and I don't know your kids, But I understand the stages of development enough to know that we respond differently at different ages to different things. So time out may work for your 2-year-old, but it's all your 15-year-old wants now is for you to just give them time out, right? And if you try to spank your 17-year-old, that might not work out so well for you. You might get knocked. (laughs) So I'm just saying the shape of discipline changes in the season of your child, but it serves a purpose in creating this results later, And nobody likes discipline, nobody. So if you're a parent and you hate that, I get it. And if you're a kid and you hate that, I get it. I think that the hardest thing for us to understand about discipline is not whether or not to do it, it's that in that short season, discipline is painful, it's inconvenient. It's annoying, and it's tedious. It's difficult to follow through on, and it's difficult to endure. But it's pruning, and it creates something when it's done right. And it's like planting a field full of promise and hope in your children. And the only wrong way to do discipline, if you're doing it in love, and in this long view, is that you aren't doing it. And there's some conflict avoidance that I think happens in families because we're already tired. And so instead of addressing something, we just let it go. But it festers, and it grows into its own thing, and that's called a weed, and that's frustrating. And so this last thing, right? So we talked about exasperation, and we talked about how to deliver, and we talked about um, loving your children, and we talked about what it, that, that we need to somehow sow this discipline into them. I want to talk about Proverbs 13. I told you I was going to go to this verse, but whoever spares the rod hates their children. Wow, that's some strong language because, well, we have laws. You shouldn't be using a a rod to correct your children in most cases. But what this passage is actually saying is if you're sparing discipline, if you're holding back correction, if you're not, taking care of them in that moment that they're steering off course so hard, you hate them. What? And then it gives you the contrast of that. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Careful. So if you love your children, you're careful to discipline them. Proverbs 22.6 says, and we've heard this one before, too. Uh, This is one that gets thrown around a lot and and claimed as a promise. And it says in Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he grows older, he will not abandon it or he will not depart from it. And so parents think, okay, well, if I train up my child in the way they go, if I plant this seed, it's going to grow into this giant tree that's going to produce fruit. might take some seasons. They might have some droughts, but it should work. They'll never depart from it. I'm here to tell you that Proverbs are these really wise sayings that are most of the time true. They're collections of wisdom statements. And so sometimes people say, well, I I raised them up right. There's there's no possible way. So they might get old and they might do dumb stuff, but in the end, they're going to come back. I'm here to tell you that that is true most of the time. I have seen that happen so many times. I don't know about you, but you may have had great parents and then veered off track and done some really dumb stuff. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, cool, just me. So um, you, you were raised, right? They instilled in you the gospel. You understood that Jesus died for you. You lived for him for a season, and then you got like at Sam's Club or Costco, the samples, and you were like, this is not so bad over here, this thing that we do. And you taste the world and you go, I think I want more of that. But it leads to destruction and you end up planting weeds around you and the weather changes and then it's a drought and they're using up all your water and you're being choked out. And some of you are in that position today. You literally have understood the grace of God And somebody communicated that to you, and you have walked away, and you feel nothing. You have no attraction to the church or God's word. You're super irritated by God's people because they're super annoying the way they're always telling you the truth. And you don't want anything to do with it because your experience has been the world may have more to offer. And I understand that but I believe that God's calling you back. I believe that the one thing this passage says is that the truth doesn't go out void. That something in you is stirred. And you may push off the Holy Spirit nudging you. You may not want to hear that. You might go, I don't like this. I don't mm, I don't want that conviction. But when God calls you, he's relentless. And the greatest thing is he's not relentlessly angry. He uses discipline because he loves you and it often corrects us. So the real question is how stubborn are you? How much more discipline do you need? You've been suffering. I'm not saying it's because it's God's discipline, but it, it may be as somebody who has walked, leapt off course away from God, that discipline was so heavy. God, I felt like he took away anything I could place my identity in other than him. At the time that I confessed to my affair, I also had back surgery that same week. I injured myself so badly that I had to have reconstructive back surgery and I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even, okay, actually I'll just tell you. I couldn't even go to the bathroom by myself and I was dependent on my wife who I had just crushed. And God's discipline removed my physical size, my physical abilities brought me down to a level where I couldn't even use the bathroom by myself. My, my occupational, <laughs> you're a pastor and you have an affair, is completely crushed and removed from me. That's not gonna happen. And it wasn't God's punishment. You did a bad thing, so I'm gonna levy a consequence. No, this was God's loving restorative discipline, and he brought men into my lives to guide me and give me encouragement for the next several years to rebuild something greater than I ever had, and it was returning to the teaching of my youth. It reminded me of sitting across from my mom in Taco Bell and realizing that grace was for me, and you can choose every single day, are you going to rebel against God are you going to embrace the possibility that he has something so much greater for you? And that's kind of where I want to end today is that our kids absorb our shuffling. They absorb our double-mindedness. They definitely notice the patterns of whether you want to go to church because you want to worship or if you found another excuse to not show up. They definitely know. No, I'm totally serious. They're watching you. They know what you watch. They know that you watch certain shows on HBO that you need them to go to bed so that you can watch. They're aware of that. Their eyes are watching you. That's frustrating. Because I have failed my kids so many times by what I'll end up watching or doing or the way I'll speak to them. I promise you 100% I have exasperated my child. I promise you that they have had to forgive me for times that I have never even asked for forgiveness. But parenting is not just saying do this. It's saying do what I'm doing. So do they see how you give? Do they see how you live? Do they see what motivates you? Do they see that your job is just a paycheck or do they see that as your identity? Are they frustrated with the way that you encourage them? Or are they frustrated with the way you discourage them? Do they see your compassion for the lost (laughs) when you're at that, you know, that one off ramp where that person is asking for your money and you just drove past 16 now hiring signs? and, And what'd you say? and your kid's right there. Do your kids know that compassion in you or do they know your frustration more? What are you known for? And so here's the scary thing that I want you to do if you're a parent, ask your kids. That's terrifying. It's not about saying, how have I failed you? It's about saying, hey, listen, you might see some inconsistencies in me. I want to work on those. Can, can you just, what's something that exasperates you that I do? What's something that breaks your will? If you're a kid in here today, now you have permission to talk to your parents about that. But some of us are grown kids. We're adults. Man, we've got wounds. Some of our parents completely bailed on us. There's some spouses in here whose spouses have completely bailed on you. You're pulling triple duty. You're working. You're a mom. You're also this dad. Somehow, you're making it work. I'm here to stand with you today and say, you are not alone. God sees you, and he loves you. Hang in there. It is so hard. I want to make it easier for you. I don't know how. So let's just work on not exasperating our children. Let's try to figure out what discipline looks like. And this last thing is faith. And I don't know how to talk about it except to just bring up Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So there's exasperation and there's discipline. But Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So in every parenting situation, in every situation as you're a child and you're being parented, in every situation, do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So not only are you not anxious about it in every situation, but you're also connecting with God over and over and repeatedly. But with an attitude of thanks, present your request to God. And then it says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it surpasses your situation, it overrides any hurt that you've already experienced it covers every wound the peace of god which makes no sense to you in that season remember longview says in a season you experience this the peace of god transcends all of your understanding so every mental ability for you to go this is what should happen and it's just not nope the peace of god comes in and takes care of your anxiety and says i will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's God's promise to you that if you surrender your anxiety and connect with God, whether you've been wounded by your parents or whether you're wounding as a parent or you're just trying to do your best, that the peace of God will transcend your understanding. You can have an attitude of gratitude and you can grow. Your mind and your heart is protected in Christ Jesus. That's his promise for you. So you can show your children, this is the final thing, your faith is on display with your children and you can show them that you submit to God by teaching them to pray and model prayer regularly. You can model what faith looks like because that's the intersect, right? Faith and life. There's Sunday church, And then there's Monday life. And those cross and your kids are totally watching you. How you handle your entertainment, how you handle your bills, how you handle what you consider a compassionate response to this world in need. They're watching you watch the news and they're hearing what you say. They're watching you watching sports, watching you drink watching sports and learning how to watch sports and saying the things you say and you're going to punish them for it later. But guess where they learned it? And so the last thing is faith. We don't want to exasperate our children. We do want to discipline them in love. But the last thing is ultimately the model that we show. It should be about humility. It should be about confession. When you go to them and you say, I am sorry, I did the wrong thing. Some of you guys might have to say, I've done the wrong thing for years and my heart just came alive and I've got a lot of work to do, but I need your forgiveness. If you go to your children and you say, can we start over? I've been a really crappy dad and I need to start over with you. You might be surprised that your kids give you the biggest hug you've ever had because that's what they wanted was to start over. Because they're in that booth thinking they're eating their last meal. And God's saying to you, You're at a crossroads. What are you gonna choose? And now you realize you're in that booth as a parent. You're at a crossroad. Are you going to make today the day that you decide to take a different approach to parenting? To maybe step up, to maybe apologize to your spouse for making them do it all? Because, man, I've had to do that. Or do you need to apologize to your children for maybe, maybe exasperating them? I don't know. I don't know you and I don't know your kid. But I know kids are rebellious and I know I am.